What is up, everybody? This is Ryan with the Scale Up Show. What is going on? I am... Don't know why I'm talking slow like that. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the hell I'm going on. Anyways, I'm excited to be with you today. (laughs) And you can laugh at me. I'm laughing at myself. So I am going to go over how to exponentially grow in 2022 without more leads or hiring more people. Check it out after the intro. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. What is up, everybody? This is Ryan with the Scale Up Show. All right. How do you grow exponentially without hiring more people, without bringing more leads? I'm going to walk you through this, and this is super cool. Um, this was this was the feedback as the single most impactful thing from a presentation I gave to over 500, five zero zero revenue leaders, chief revenue officers, VPs of sales, people that have dedicated their life to creating the craft of sales and, and mastering in that. So it was a massive compliment, but like I said, you guys are my peeps, wanted to share it with you. So I'm going to unlock this. So essentially, before I start though, you know, I always look to look in principles and one of the principles I saw is, and I'm a great believer in luck and I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. And that's Thomas Jefferson. Okay. That's, that's what old Ryan used to think, right? And what I say now is the smarter I work, the less luck I need, right? The smarter I work, the less luck I need. And if you think about it, we can't become what we need to be by remaining what we are. And that's Oprah. Okay. How's that stack of quotes? Pretty sweet. Okay. So I'm going to walk through through this. So it's basically called, and I work on this with my private clients and it's been life-changing. I actually helped one of my clients 10X, actually I think it's 100X their license size. So I want to share it with you. Okay. And you're definitely going to want to write this down. So it's called the perfect customer profile. And you're like, Ryan, what the hell is your perfect customer profile? So the standard term for this in marketing is really like ideal customer profile. So you might or might not have heard of that, depending on how deep you are into the throes of marketing or avatar is another one. So basically what this does is this takes like your avatar, like your ideal customer profile. Be like if your ideal customer profile Matt Pareto's principle, which is the 80-20 rule, and had a baby with it. <laughs> and so, and let me take a step back. That's the concept. So why don't you noodle that around? Maybe that's a bad visual for you to have because the 80-20 rule having a baby with your, your avatar might not be a good visual. But anyways, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to digress. We're going to move forward. And basically how this came about was, or how I, how I figured this out or how I, I, I discovered this was I was a rep. When I was selling, and this is probably, let me think, man. How long ago is this? Maybe 10 years ago? No, maybe it was like 14 years ago. Yeah, it was probably, yeah, it was probably like 14, no, maybe 16 years ago. Anyways, you get the idea. It was when I I was younger. (laughs) And so what I was doing is I was working, and I remember I was vividly working. We were at downtown Chicago. I think we were on the 20th floor of a, a skyscraper down there. And it was it was 1230 at night and I was cramming to finish a proposal. 
And this wasn't very uncommon for, for young Ryan back then. So um, what I was doing is I was working my, my tail off. I was busting my ass. And basically what happened was I was working these really, really long hours. And I didn't have a lot of guidance. We didn't have any enablement. We didn't have we, – we were very resource constrained, which is what I see with a lot of startups today. And so I was just trying to outwork the problem. And then eventually it clicked like a light bulb. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to work 70 hours a week. This is terrible, right? Um, And so I'm like, okay, how am I going to overcome this? And so what I started to do is I'm like, all right, screw this. I am going to look at the top performing rep. What What are the top two or three performing reps that are consistent, right? That work maybe 30 hours a week and are executing it. 200% 200% of the results I'm doing. What, what are they doing versus my 70 hours a week at half the time? There's got to be a pattern, right? And some of it is you need to build up momentum, right? So that's a piece of it. But there's also patterns that they use to make quantum leaps or jumps without covering all the bases. And that's what I was missing. So I looked at that. And I'm like, okay. What I found out was that this person had basically, uh, what did they have? Yeah. They had two clients that composed of about 130% of that 200% revenue. I'm like, huh, two clients. That's it, right? So so step one, get, get good at selling really big deals and makes your life exponentially easier and you can keep, it's a gift that keeps on giving, right? It's a golden goose. And so from there, <laughs> what happened was, I'm like, so I, I, I took a hard look at like, I'm like, how can I replicate that? And create that because my territory was pretty much open. It was named accounts. But how can I create that in my Chicago area territory? And and how do I create that? How do I generate that? And so I got really hyper specific on targeting because not only did I look at the pattern of like what he was doing, but who were the biggest clients company wide that were the most profitable? Okay. And then once I implemented it, it was amazing. Okay. I dropped probably about 20, 30 hours a week. And I started doing 140% of the results that I did before. Pretty amazing, right? Okay, now take it one step further. And we got, as a leader, once I got shifted and said, Ryan, you need to create an enterprise team. You need to create a team where we move up market and we get reoccurring revenue. That's going to be your your number one focus. I had no people. I had no marketing. I had no demand gen, right? My pets' heads were falling off. You like Dumb and Dumber. Um, but anyways, so, so same thing. I'm like, okay, how do I apply what I did as a rep at scale for creating a go to market and, and creating a, a team or teams around this, right? So then what we did is we added that and I applied it and I looked at, okay, what were the five biggest wins? I think we did. No, actually we did a lot of that. It's probably like, yeah, the five biggest wins and the five biggest losses we had over the last two years. So I looked over 20 accounts. Okay. The other thing that I, I, I did in, in pieces of it is looked at the five fastest wins too. So I looked at a combination of speed, revenue, profitability, and then the biggest losses. Those are the ones that hurt the most. Okay. So it's my five by five by five method, right? And anybody could do this, whether you have data or not, if you don't have the data and you're earlier on in your journey, you can sit down and literally like, Ask the person who sold the deal if you are not that, if it's not founder-led, and do that. Or if you're an executive, let's say you're 5, 10 million in revenue, ARR, you could ask the individual reps 
If the reps are still not there, then talk to the customers and ask them during the review, okay? Now, the beautiful thing about this is that when I did this, this was um, as a leader, this is probably about 10 years ago. And so, no, it wasn't 10 years ago. Was, I did it initially 10 years ago, and then I did it again for the enterprise team. So what started to happen was when I did this for the enterprise team or the strategic accounts or the upmarket, the ARR team, what happened was, um, and, and this was with managed services, by the way. So by doing that, what I realized is there was, there was one deal, there's different verticals. So I looked at it by vertical, right? Which verticals and what was the ownership structure? Were they publicly traded? Were they private? Were they venture back? Were they PE? And what I saw was that there was two different verticals where the sales cycle length was um, nine months, I believe, for one. No, it may have been 12 months. I think it was 12 months for one. And the average deal size was, I think it was like 20K a month, which is still a good size deal. It was like 250K. Uh, and then there was another deal that was in a different vertical that was 100000 a month, right? So good size deal, $1.2 million, right? $1.2 million annually in ARR. That's awesome. Love to get me some more of those. And found out instead of like 12 months, the sales cycle was nine months. And I'm like, huh, what's up there, right? So we five times the deal size and literally, you know, 75% of the time. So started looking back and what we saw is not only did we look at the company type, but we looked at the revenue, we looked at the vertical because basically the verticals and the ownership structure are like the invisible force that influences every decision that the C-suite makes and that pushes down to VPs and directors. So uh, we got super granular. Then we looked at the annual revenue. Then we looked at the revenue per client, like how much were they paying us? And then we went all the way down to the individual, right? What was the signer title? But some of the most beautiful things that came out of it were, okay, what was the tangible customer pain we solved? And that's number one. What was the second one we solved? And these were like, what were they moving away from? Because you're four times as likely to make a change if you're moving away from something that, that basically versus moving towards it. And, and so the third one was like, okay, what did they want? What was their dream destination? So that's how we chopped it up and looked at it. And there's, there's significantly more variables that you could look at with this. But this is an exercise I do with every new client that I have. And every single time we go through this, there's, there's like, I don't want to say it's the easy button, but there's those deals that close in half the amount of time that are like three, four, five times the size. And you don't even need to change product for it. And, and they're not like $40 billion companies. Sometimes it's the difference of, of basically just the vertical and the ownership structure because they have a different motivation. Because here's the one thing that I will tell you, and I, this is the single biggest objection that I hear, or not, it's not even an objection, but just reason why people are like, limiting belief of like, why this wouldn't work, okay? And that single belief in their head is like, well... You know, they, they didn't have anything. They just needed it, right? They put they put together an RFP because, like, I'll give you an example. I was talking to a revenue leader of a $100 million company the other day, and he's just like, hey, they just really needed someone to, to um, you know, they put an RFP. They were just having some support issues. I'm like, okay, cool. They're having support issues, okay? Well, or they wanted to consolidate billing. And those were the two main issues they're moving away from, which in sounds... You know, on the surface, it's not like super in-depth, right? They're more like surface level. It's like, okay, how do we get three levels deeper than that? Okay, they had billing issues, okay? How many billing issues did they have? 
or how many bills did they have? Well, they had, uh, I think it was like 100. They had 100 different bills going through. Okay. And so what problems did having 100 different bills have? Well, what happened was they were had one person that had to manage all this and then cross-reference it and it was inconsistent. And it's like, okay, well, what did the, did the inconsistency cause? Did it cause overbilling, right? And usually that's where people's depth of understanding stops, right? And so that's why I'm saying like go back and get those details because what you'll find is that moment in time right before they say I have to do something is the trigger event that if you find it, it'll change everything, right? And you don't need more leads. You don't need more people. You'll start to see deal sizes skyrocket in like less time with less effort. Like how cool is that, right? And so if you do that, and this is what we eventually came up with, is that we identified by going through that process that the revenue was basically... So I'm sorry, I, I hit on one part. I hit on the support issue um, or I hit on the billing. And then the other thing would be like the support issue that they mentioned. Well, there are support issues. Okay, well, what happens if support issues cause or, or happen? Um, what, why, like, why was support an issue? Well, because their websites generated revenue. I'm like, okay, ding, 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 increasing revenue. It's not a support issue. It's a revenue issue, right? Okay, well, when the website was down, how much revenue did they lose? right? Like, can you get that number? Okay. Then here's the next one. When, when you lost revenue, like what type of other companies are at massive risk for losing substantial amounts of revenue from downtime? Okay. And what we, what we stumbled upon was that it's actually product led growth companies. So companies that typically focus on product led growth, if, if their website's not up and running, they, that, that cash machine isn't going. So basically, that's the targeted company. Now, the event is finding, okay, what product-led growth companies have had outage issues or what suppliers have outage issues that, that support product-led growth companies, right? So it's a massive way to exponentially increase your deal size while increasing the speed at the same time. So hope this was helpful for you. If you want more help on something like this, just reach out to me. DM me on LinkedIn. Uh, would love to hear from you. This is one of the things that I would say is the biggest needle mover. It takes, it doesn't even take that much time to set up, but it's a ninja skill that I've had. We're following the trail on how to get to that. So we can create massive, massive results in a resource constrained environment without adding people. And the cool thing is, wait, listen, if you add people and you're not in a resource constrained environment, your company goes bananas. So anyways, I appreciate you. Thanks for checking the show out. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. And, you know, we're getting around holiday time. So spread the cheer. Share some love. If this was impactful for you and helpful, share it with someone. Share it with someone. That's the best gift you could do. Don't be a selfish entrepreneur. Don't be a selfish revenue leader. If you liked it, enjoyed it, share it with someone you care about. And it could help them as well. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering 
in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 